0: You are listening Ukraine 242? We bring you interview subjects from all walks of life in wartime in Ukraine. Thanks to all our listeners around the world. Here is our collaborator and your host, Anne Levin.
1: Welcome to Ukraine 242 a weekly exploration of the Russian invasion of Ukraine featuring conversations with influential people in Ukraine and important scholars and artists from around the world. I am your host Anne Levine reporting from WOMR in Provincetown, Massachusetts for the Pacifica Network. Our guest is Albina Kovalyova, an award-nominated documentary producer and director specializing in telling compelling human stories from Ukraine, Russia, and the former Soviet Union. Her documentaries have taken her from Russia's high Arctic to the battlefields of eastern Ukraine and Kazakhstan's border with China. Her unique understanding of the region and empathy for her subjects has helped her create films that combine journalistic excellence and human warmth. Albina Kovalyova, welcome to Ukraine 242. Thank you. Kovalyova is director and producer of Occupied, a documentary about civilian life during wartime in Ukraine from the BBC World Service, released on October 20th, 2022. It's available to view now on YouTube. Filmed in secret by Dmytro Banenko and Lydia Biletska, it documents their life in Kherson, Ukraine from March 2022 until their eventual flight from the city in the end of May. Albina, my understanding from your biography is that your other documentaries and news pieces that you've directed and produced and written have been on the ground, as it were. Whereas Occupied, you were not on the ground filming.
0: That's right, for a large part. Part of the film. Dimitro is the one who is our eyes and ears in Kherson.
1: Did you know Dimitro before you started working on it? No, no, I didn't know him. Basically, what happened
0: is in the first weeks of the war, it became really clear that Kherson, the first. Russian-occupied city in Ukraine that's quite sizable is going to be strategically important for that reason. And I thought that there might be a similar kind of scenario as what happened in the Donetsk taken over by the pro-Russian rebels in the last eight years, where you saw that kind of terror and an information blackout creeping in. And, you know, I thought that her son would be that kind of situation fairly soon. I was looking for characters who, to be able to film their stories. And someone suggested a local journalist who was filming, and it was Dimitro. I got in contact with him. We had a couple of phone conversations, and then he started sending me just a little bit of material that he was shooting, you know, just his daily life. But it was really great. It was really colorful.
1: As a director, how did you make that work? Thank you for the
0: question. It's actually, I think, a very interesting one, because that's right, for a large part of the film, Dimitro is the one who was our eyes and ears in her son. And it was quite challenging, because he had never really filmed professionally before, certainly in a kind of documentary way. So we had to really spend a lot of time talking about composition and things like that. But also, we had to make sure that he was safe when he was filming. And to pass the material in a safe way, but also just to make sure he was doing okay. So some of the time, you know, he wasn't even filming. He was tired or, you know, because this was everyday life and some days nothing happened. So we would just spend some time talking about how he was feeling and um, what was going on. But, you know, it was interesting because I wasn't there. I was kind of living it almost in real time because I was reviewing the footage as soon as it was possible to do so, as soon as it would upload. Where sometimes there are issues with the Internet because signal would sometimes be jammed or it was some technical problems. But mostly it was seeing the footage pretty much the same day or just the day after. These very key moving moments when, you know, he's reacting to big events such as what happened in Ibucha, such as, you know, when the Internet is cut off, such as when Ksusha is scared that she might be bombed. Those kind of moments. And the journey out. That's the other big one. But I did make a trip afterward when they were safely out of occupied territory and in Kiev. And we did very long interviews with, you know, all of the members of the family who got out. And you can see all of those in the film. And hopefully it worked. It did. And of course, I have to say that at the end of the day, this film, it went through all the checks and balances of a BBC investigation.
1: You see the reality of what Dimitro is filming and what he's saying. And then you see the news broadcasts coming out of Russia.
0: We all spent a long time putting together and checking footage by people who were just on the ground, who filmed things like demonstrations when they got violence, or you know were close to the fighting on the outskirts of Kherson. And of course, there's also the propaganda. There's Russian television reports and there's Ukrainian television reports that all contextualize the story and bring it wider. And when the Ukrainian channels were no longer available in herson you know, and only Russian television and Russian radio is available, it was important to capture that, to put that in, because it provided a context. I think it was really important to see that juxtaposition without necessarily too much commentary, because it speaks for itself, that contrast. So, you know, it is a very BBC-style investigation trying to put a much wider picture to the very personal account that's at the heart of it.
1: How did you cull all of that and put it together? We collected a lot of footage about her son throughout
0: the time that we were filming. And then we were just picking out the best footage, also ones that we understood, was verified. And we put it together in a kind of bigger mosaic around the footage that was shot by Dimitro.
1: Given what you just said, I'm curious how you were able to bring this so quickly to the screen. Well, that's a matter of perspective,
0: I suppose, because it did take us quite a few months and we spent nearly three months editing. So we're in the current affairs department of the BBC. So we did have an aim to put it up fairly soon, also because the situation on the ground can change, as we're seeing now. So we did want it to be released fairly quickly in order for it to be relevant.
1: I'm sure that just as a document, this film will always be relevant. Thank you. What messages do you want viewers of this film to take away?
0: I think there are two key messages or issues in the film for me. First of all, I think documenting the tactics that the Russian military and security services use to terror, the tactics of interrogation, tactics of trying to win people over, and if they cannot succeed, then they break them. I think that this is important not only in terms of understanding the First Son and other occupied territories, but generally Russia's tactic of terror that it seems to be employed in Ukraine and against its own people, too, in Russia and outside its borders. And I think the other thing that is very important, and I very much hope it comes across, is the kind of resilience and bravery and power in the details of everyday life that people like Mitra and his family focus on to just survive so that it's not all bleak and dark. There are moments of light. There are moments of laughter. There's very loving moments. And I think that this film shows, like perhaps no other film has shown about Ukraine up till now, that power of resilience, of the love of everyday details, their willingness to just kind of enjoy life and keep going. And I think that it's not just Mitro and his family who do that. I think, again, it's many families who do something similar and it strikes that kind of emotional chord with viewers. It equate that family to many, many families in Ukraine and also around the world that could possibly have found themselves in that situation. And how do you deal with it? How do you keep going? How do you try and stay normal and decent for your children, for each other? How do you support
1: each other? How do you survive? That resilience and courage is incredible, Dimitro is doing this with his family and taking tremendous risks with his life. What inspires that? I gather he hadn't done filming on something that extraordinary before. Yeah, you know, I don't want to answer for him,
0: but he has told me that in a way the filming process helped him. It was a way of trying to understand the world around him, a way of documenting, almost like a diary. But I also think that part of it was that willingness to not give up. There's obviously a lot of love for his hometown, you know, in Mitro and in Lydia, and actually in, in the whole family. You know, they don't want to leave. They don't want to leave. Even pretty much at the last moment, you can see Dimitra looking in the mirror and saying, you know, I don't want to go, but that decision's been made. And in a way, it's circumstances. So that love of their plays comes across. The love for their daughter comes across when they just try to distract away from the horrors of the war and the kind of dullness of the occupation. And they just try and cook and play and go out for walks and, you know,
1: do normal things that normal families do. Arguably, the most compelling character in your film is Dimitro and Lydia's five-year-old daughter, Fuchsia. How is she doing? That's a really good question. Um, obviously,
0: the family is now in Kiev, which on the one hand is better for them because they're not under occupation. On the other hand, as we know, there's been a lot of missile strikes on Kiev. There are problems with energy, electricity. So, you know, and for a little child to experience this war situation, I'm sure, like for so many children in Ukraine, is very difficult. But I know that Mitra and his wife, Lydia, they're trying to do everything they can to make sure she's okay and to reassure her. And, you know, in those moments of bombardment, they try to watch cartoons and just try and make her not worry about it, and not feel that fear.
1: Father Sergei, the priest, Vindherson, is an incredibly compelling person, in occupied, And he apparently suffered terrible trauma from the physical and psychological torture he underwent when he was detained by the Russians. From the video, it is, quite evident how much of a transformation he went
0: through after he was tortured, and he recounts his torture in quite a lot of detail in the film. Um, He was, you know, very, I think, outgoing, very pro-Ukrainian, and afterwards he managed to escape the occupied territory.
1: Those scenes of Father Sergei, I can easily imagine the torture that he went through. Father Sir, his account of his
0: detention and his torture, it was a public one. And that's the one we took because he posted it on Facebook. And I think it was important for him to come clean in a way about what happened because he was obviously so upset about the way that it broke his spirits and the way that they made him agree to collaborate with the Russians. He obviously didn't want to do that. So I think that in terms of his story, it's It's already pretty much public. There's just a little bit more detail, more personable. You kind of get to know him and and like him and understand where he's coming from before you hit that final note about what happened to him.
1: He's returned to what he was doing. He certainly seems very committed to his mission, to his
0: calling, if that's the right word. He even admitted that it might be to the detriment of his family. He has quite a few kids. But he feels right now that it's his duty to go out and inspire a faith and help his fellow countrymen in that
1: way. He was driving mm-hmm. to Mikolaev to get medications and first mm-hmm. aid. He was filmed yeah. affixing orthodox crosses to the outside of his vehicle. Do those things help keep one safe?
0: That's a very interesting question, and I think it probably really depends on your luck and that one encounters. I think in Father Sergei's case, it did help him, and he told us that people didn't really think he was up too much because he was a priest. So it was a good method to be able to do something risky like travel between you know, the front lines and get that much-needed medication into her son at a time when it was very difficult to get hold of it. But I think it really depends. And there have obviously been precedents for for vehicles that have been marked off as civilian, you know, buses with children and press vehicles that have been targeted.
1: Dimitrov and Lydia and the family had a vehicle that says kids. Does that help? Well, in their case,
0: it certainly did. Because they had a young child and a pregnant lady in the car, they were actually let through the queues that were hundreds of cars long, and they're really lucky. Their escape only took like a day and a half. Other people had to wait for a whole week at that time. So, in their case, that did help them, but in other cases, yeah, maybe maybe not always.
1: We saw the family lying out on mats by the side of the road to try to sleep. How were they getting food and water?
0: Everything is really you know, specific to the family or the people who are trying to get out and what their luck is. Information is shared on social media and special chats where people are keeping each other up to date with the latest, you know, what's happening on the roads, the conditions. So I think probably people would be prepared with some amount of food and water. I know that Dimitro and his family brought food supplies with them, but of course to stand for a week Or even more, maybe in some cases, that's not going to be enough space in the car, probably for a sizable family. So I have heard of cases where people, you know, tried to escape, it was taking too long, and then they decided to turn back.
1: Thank you. Shelter Our Sky by Balaklava Blues, used on the soundtrack of Occupied. You are listening to Ukraine 242, an exploration of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I am your host, Anne Levine, from WOMR Community Radio in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Thank you for joining us. Our guest is Albina Kovalyova. Director and producer of the BBC documentary, Occupied, a film about civilian life during wartime in Ukraine, now available for viewing on YouTube. Albina, how is Occupied doing? How is it being received?
0: The film is doing really well. It's certainly doing really well on YouTube. There's three versions the English language one, the Russian language one, and the Ukrainian language one. And then there's cut down versions of all three languages, which are about 12 minutes. And then little social media pieces that run at around four minutes for Instagram and Facebook. And the website, of course, a BBC website, which has a print story with video sort of extracts. And altogether, it's in the
1: millions. It's really an extraordinary film. How do you feel about the film? Oh, gosh, that's a loaded
0: question. Well, it's been quite a long time in the making, so in a way, there's a relief. When I say we, I mean the BBC Investigations Unit, which is called BBC Eye. We're part of the BBC World Service, and we've only been going about a year. And this film became, you know, very important because of the war to document what was happening on the ground, challenge this information, to put a very you know personal and human face on what was going on and try and reach as many viewers as we can. Hopefully.
1: The film is in Russian, it's in Ukrainian, it's in English. Do you have any idea how many Russians have been able to see it? Just going on the YouTube statistics, there have been just short of 200,000
0: viewers actually inside Russia. So I think that's pretty good.
1: Have you received any feedback from viewers in Russia? Well, if you read
0: the commentary on YouTube, there's a lot of you know emotional comments, people who are very moved by it also people who are criticizing the BBC and the usual kind of disinformation tactics as well, which is probably to be expected. So I think it's a bit of a mixed bag.
1: Albina, is there anything else about the film that you would like to address? It was
0: impossible not to be moved to tears while making this. When I saw Dimitro write telephone numbers in case him and his wife didn't make it, who would take care of Susha, Who would be the guardians? That's just heartbreaking, isn't it?
1: When they put her library card as yeah. an ID around her neck. Exactly. There's an extraordinary moment when Dimitro says, I don't want to speak Russian. I don't want to speak the Russian language anymore.
0: That's the reaction to what happened in and He says, after everything we've seen that happened in Bucha, I don't want to speak Russian anymore. And I think... You know, when Dmitry says that, you can really see that it's a breaking point for him. And I think it was possibly such a breaking point for a lot of people in the country. You know, it was the mark of a war that was no longer fought just between the military, but it was obvious that civilians were being targeted in a very cruel way. Russian is spoken by that family naturally, but I think that shocked caused him to want to distance himself from the language of what he sees as the aggressor. And that is one of the most powerful turning points of the film, that kind of realization that he wants to distance himself from everything Russian. And I think that for a lot of Ukrainians, it might strike a chord at that, that moment. To make this kind of film, you have to have so much trust and such a close relationship Dmitry and I had.
1: Well, beautifully done.
0: Also, you know, I have to say that there was a team of producers and other people in the BBC, each and every one of them played a crucial role in making this happen, because it's a very difficult logistically, from a security point of view, it's very tricky to make this kind of film and get it right and not get in trouble and not put contributors in danger and not have the material get lost somewhere and get compromised.
1: Well, I want to congratulate you and the rest of the team for making a stunning film. Thank you so much. Thank you so much,
0: Anne. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
1: Swallow by Balaklava Blues. Thanks to our guest Albina Kovalyova, director and producer of the BBC documentary Occupied, available to view now on YouTube. Albina Kovalyova is an award-nominated documentary producer and director, specializing in telling compelling human stories from Ukraine russia and the former soviet union her documentaries have taken her from russia's high arctic to the battlefields of eastern ukraine and kazakhstan's border with china she has covered the hidden epidemic of domestic violence in russia Ukraine's HIV crisis, and been behind the scenes with democracy activists in Belarus. Her BBC World News film, Ukraine's Frontline Bakery, was nominated for the One World Award in 2018. Albina has also worked on documentary projects with NBC and Channel 4 News. Albina grew up between London and the United States and is from a mixed Russian-Ukrainian background. She spent over 10 years as a news producer and correspondent, traveling widely in Russia, Ukraine, and other former Soviet republics, covering major news stories for international media, including NBC News, Channel 4, and Associated Press. Her current projects include Occupied and a documentary about the artist Alisa Groshenina, an emerging Russian talent whose work captures the dying world of Russia's rural villages. Kovalyova lives in London with her family. You are listening to Ukraine 242 an exploration of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I am your host, Anne Levine, producer of this episode from WOMR Community Radio in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Thank you for joining us. Editing by Ursula Rudenberg, Pacifica Network. Recording by Michael Levine. To see pictures of our guests and for more information, go to Ukraine242.com. If you wish to send a message of encouragement to the Ukrainian people, call 510-883-3115 and record your message. It will be translated into Ukrainian and broadcast throughout Ukraine on Kraina FM's 24-station radio network. This is Ann Levine. Until next week on Ukraine 242.